No, God has been faithful 32 years. I can't commit to 32 more years, but I'm going to try to commit to 20 more years, 20 more years, and we'll see what happens when I'm 83. If I still feel the same way, but we'll. we'll. So bottom line is she came crawling back because I was a wealthy, famous evangelist, and I accepted her like uh, Hosea, prayed a hedge around Gomer, and Gomer came back. So uh, God is the God of restoration. If you know somebody that is struggling in need of a, in need of a marital miracle, uh, God is able, and that's God's faithful, and he did it for me. He will certainly do it for you. I celebrate uh, 36 years of being clean, uh, restored, things turned around. He is obviously, again, the God of restoration. Was there a birthday this week? Do we have a birthday, a birthday this week? Okay. I want to step right into the Word of God. If you go to Colossians, the third chapter, and put your finger or your, your ink pen or something there, and then go with me to Genesis, the third chapter. There's been a message stirring uh, in me pretty much all week, and it's just been a, a message of uh, observation, just watching and looking and listening and realizing that uh, uh, we are really in dire straits. Uh, our world's in trouble. Our nation's in trouble. Our homes are in trouble. Things that we never, ever, ever thought would take place have taken place. We never thought we would take prayer out of the schools. We never thought that we would give high school juniors uh, condoms. And we never thought that the president would order every school in America to allow a child to go into whatever bathroom they choose. Uh, It's never been like this. I don't even know. The Bible refers to the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know that we've ever lived in more perilous times than we are living in now. It seems like the enemy tries to destroy the family, tries to destroy the home, the commitment, husband and wife. Uh, We have a lot of dads that have abandoned their children and children being raised uh, without a male influence, which is why the church tries uh, to have activities that include uh, our children. We will, uh, June 11th, uh, be hosting a fishing tournament for kids. Uh, and it's for everybody, but we would like to focus on taking some kids that have never been fishing, that have absolutely no idea how to bait a hook. This is open to guys and girls. And I will say this, and there are those that will agree with me. The place that we are fishing, I have business associates and friends that would pay me $100 to fish this lake. This lake has some 8-pound bass. This lake has some 30-pound catfish. It's full of fish. And we're going to, Jerry, if you'll help me, we'll bush hog it and get it so the kids can walk right up to the, but it is a, uh, this could be, for some child, this could be an opportunity of a lifetime. Might catch a big catfish, might catch a big bass. But more importantly, in the afternoon, we're going to have ministry for them. We're going to hot dogs. And just it's just the church's way of reaching out and trying to be a part of what we're supposed to be a part of. God told us, and three of us spent several hours this week at the home of a widow who has lost not just her husband but her son and uh, has got some serious, serious uh, financial challenges that trying to take everything that she's worked for for years. This family has given uh, missions, hundreds of thousands of dollars. This family has given 
the Church of God uh, denomination, hundreds of thousands of dollars. This family was very good to Ron and I when we were traveling uh, 31 years ago, and uh, they are struggling. And I told the guys yesterday, when you minister to a widow, you're ministering to God. There's no, there's no pure form of, of worship and no pure form of ministry than touching a widow. And then when you touch the orphan, Jesus said, you'll, you'll minister to the widow and the orphan. And then he said, you'll minister to those in prison. And I don't really know that that's a literal prison two or three times a year. Uh, I will make my way to LaGrange to a maximum security prison. There I will spend as many hours as the guards will, will allow us to. We just received a letter from the uh, chaplain of the prison asking me if there was any way possible that I could come and bring Phil Driscoll with me for a day, and we're working on that. It's probably going to happen. So that's the, the ministry of the church is to minister to the widow, the orphan, and, and those in prison. But there are other prisons besides literal. There are those that are in bondage to mindsets. There are those that are in bondage to physical addiction. There are those that are in bondage to being abused and being wounded. There are those that are struggling financially, robbing Peter to pay Paul, only to find out that Peter's broke. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of those things, I believe that that's the generation that we live in where we're talking about the devil, and there really is a devil, and he really is a sly old fox. And the song said, if I could catch him, I'd put him in a box, lock the box and throw away the key for all the tricks he's played on me. Paul, I would not lock the box and throw it away. You and I would get together with some dynamite, and we would blow the devil from here to kingdom come. Hello, do I have a friend in the house? Uh, much to uh, our doctrine and, and teaching, there is a very good possibility that Satan has never been to Cleveland, Tennessee. There's a very good possibility. There's only one devil. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient. He, doesn't, he can't be everywhere. He's just one devil, and we know that his focus is to try to keep Jesus from returning to Jerusalem and putting his foot on the Mount of Olives. That's the goal of Satan. His throne is in Persia, which is Iraq, Iran. You wonder why there's so much bad there. That is his literal in the heavenlies. There's a literal kingdom of Satan. When he fell from heaven, cast out from heaven, he was cast out with one-third of the angels, which we're not sure how many that is, but it was a lot. And those angels today are his soldiers. They are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in spiritual wickedness. So the army of the enemy has been sent to the different cities, the different countries of the world to try to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his purpose. That's his plan. I remember as a young kid, I don't know how many remember Flip Wilson, but Flip Wilson blamed everything he did because there was a little devil, and he would say, the devil made me do it. The devil probably has made you do nothing, but the devil does have an army that wants to destroy you, steal your joy, steal your hope, mess, mess up your dreams, mess up your goals. And so this morning for just a few minutes, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, something that I have said, I, I guess, 25 years, and that is wrong voices, wrong choices. There are a lot of voices out there. There are a lot of things being said, a lot of things being spoken, and sometimes we get so desensitized to the voices that we can't hear the voice of God. And so impressions, thought patterns, things of that nature, before this day is over, your brain, your brain will process 60,000 thoughts. 
you'll speak almost 25,000 words before this day is over. They claim, whoever they are, the neuroscience claim that 80% of those 60,000 thoughts are negative. And that's a lot of times we see everything in the red. We see everything negative. We see everything critical. And we try to change our vernacular. We try to change our vocabulary. We try to actually use the filter that God has given us and sort out our words before we speak them. There will come a day when we will stand before God and we will give account for every single word ever spoken. If you'll go with me, you're there at Colossians 3, but if you'll go with me this morning to Genesis, the third chapter, and this morning I have, I have three thoughts, and I'm going to give them to you now, and then we're going to build on them for the next 15 minutes. And those three, those three thoughts this morning for this house and for, for us right now are threefold. The first one is learn how to finish what you start. Learn how to finish what you start. Well, I never start anything. Number two, start something that God says you can finish. Start something that God says you can finish. An impression, an an, 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 uh, insinuation, uh, a nudge. God begins to put things in our heart and spirit at a very young age. Some of the things that we would like to do or be, whether it's a bucket list or whether it's just goals in life, but learn to finish something you've started and, and let God thrust you into the area of, so you can't finish a race if you never start the race. Hello. So you've got to actually get involved, get involved. And then the third thing is surround yourself with healthy, whole instruction that can help you finish your course. I remember as a, uh, a young man, and some of you know this story, but, uh, my football coach, and we had a very, very good football team. I was very light, but I was very fast. Uh, the football coach actually called my dad and asked if I could be on the football team uh, because of my speed. And my dad, we had church on Friday night, all the games on Friday night. So my parents opted not to let me play football uh, because of Friday night. At the time, I probably resented that. And at the time, I probably got upset about that. And at that time, I probably said some words that Mickey Mouse would not be pleased with. Uh, but then later in my junior year, uh, I ran varsity track. I ran varsity track for two years. I was the mile relay, the last leg. And nine times out of ten, when I got the baton, I was behind. That's always frustrating when you're running a race with three other people and they, and they hang the baton and you've got to not just finish the race, but you've got to try to catch up with the person that's ahead of you. I ran the two-mile, which I hated. And the mile was the race that I kind of, I felt good about. And I remember preparing for the race, and the only way that you could prepare for the race was to run. <laughs> Duh. And so I would run 5 to 10 miles a day. I really was not, I really didn't enjoy that, but I, but I enjoyed the track meet. I enjoyed the excitement. I enjoyed the excitement of winning and all of that. And I remember that when you run the mile, it's uh, four laps of, of a quarter mile. And that first lap, as the gun goes off and you, you begin to pace yourself and you either find the person that's setting the pace or you set the pace and you stay consistent that first lap. Then the second lap is just maintenance. You just, just hang in the race and try to stay as close to the front as you can. Somewhere around the third lap, everything inside of you starts to scream, I'm dying. 
I'm not going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to fall over dead. My legs are screaming. My lungs are screaming. And in a lot of races, you'll find that in the third lap, there will be a lot of milers that will give up. They'll either faint. They'll, 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 what's what I'm looking for? They'll fake a fall or they'll fake an injury. But somewhere after you, after you complete the third lap into the first hundred yards of the fourth lap, something happens and it's called your second wind. And you get that second win, and you, you finish that race like a monster. And if you're not too far behind, you're going to win because that's the way you practice. You practice every day to run 5 to 10 miles, and then the last, the last mile you run, you work on your second win. And I believe that there are a lot in this house this morning that just need to tap into their second win. When we begin to look at those that have done great exploits and great things and have, have accomplished great things, we realize that many of those that accomplished great things at the very beginning of their life or their ministry or their pursuit, they were told by those in authority or told by those close to them that they were never going to amount to anything. And I know there are people in this house that have been told, you're just like you're dead. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. So uh, I have prepared for you this morning a uh, clip. If the guys will help me with the lights, I apologize we don't have the big screen up. But I'm going I'm to share with you this morning some different people that were told they would never be any good at anything. And as you see the names, I'm sure you might be impressed.
Never, ever, ever give up. Never, ever, ever give up. This morning, I'm here to tell you that you're not too young to pursue the plan that God has for your life, and you're not too old to pursue the plan of God for your life. I remind you that Abraham was 100. I remind you that Moses was 80. And I remind you that Joseph was 30. There's really no age window. Uh, you might be a waitress in Southern California uh, working at a restaurant. And one day the owner tell you that uh, the restaurant is short, a uh, lemon ring pie. So you go home that evening and you bake a lemon ring pie and you take it to work the next day. And you're told at the end of the day that the owner wants two lemon meringue pies. And you go home that night and you bake two lemon meringue pies. The, the process goes to such a degree that you've got to hire your aunt, your cousin, your mom, and your dad to help you keep up with the demands of the restaurant. And you're never too young to become a recalendar, <laughs> a household name. A few years ago, they sold the business for millions of dollars, but you can still, I believe once a week, I eat a chicken pot pie from Marie Callender's. You're never too young. And it started out baking a pie. How simple is that? Well, if you've never baked a pie, it might, be, it might not be very simple. But find someone who knows how to bake a pie and let them show you. I rem, I'm reminded always of Colonel Sanders. Uh, I believe he was a school teacher most of his life at retirement. With his first check, he began to pursue Kentucky Fried Chicken, 67 years of age. And now Colonel Sanders is uh, known all over, not just in America, but there's one in Haiti, there's one in Hong Kong, and I believe I saw one in Seoul, Korea. So you ne you're never too young, you're never too old. God has a purpose and God has a plan for your life. I believe what happens many times in life that we listen to the wrong input and we listen to the wrong voices and sometimes they would discourage us from trying to start or trying to do something or trying to be something and I went all the way back to Genesis where I found in Genesis 3 the Bible says a serpent was more subtle than any other creature of the of the field the serpent did not crawl he walked uh, one of the prettiest one of the most glamorous one of the a showpiece of God's creation and somehow this this serpent allowed the spirit of Satan to enter him, and as many of you know, begin to confront Eve and begin to talk to Eve. A couple of things I wanted to bring to your attention that I thought were um, a little ironic, and uh, the irony, the first irony I found in this is that the very first person that we know of to ever quote the word of God was Satan. We know that God gave Adam instruction how to raise his family, and, and how to be, be in the, to, to participate in the garden. And it was ironically also number two that one of the first prophets found in the Bible is Adam because the very last part of chapter two, when the Bible says that God allowed man to go into a deep, deep sleep, that's God didn't want man's help, didn't want him waking up on the, on the surgery table, hello, took a rib from him, and then he made, he built a companion and uh, it was Adam, after seeing his companion, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, that made this prophetic statement. Are you ready? Therefore shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one. How ironic. There had never been a marriage. There had never been a family. There had never been any children birthed. But yet Adam, have, have you ever seen that, Pastor Todd? I never saw that. I'm glad you saw it before me. 
You see anything else before me? Let me know, okay? It was like it was like Adam prophetically prophesied over all the way up to this generation because we're now we're still cleaving to our wife and becoming one and forsaking our parents and any distractions and pursuing the purpose and plan of God. The second thing that I, I noticed in this scripture is that Satan said, I, I believe it's in verse 2, verse 1, he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And watch how the woman responds, and it's an incorrect response. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat, we may eat of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Nowhere in God's command were they told they couldn't touch it. So somewhere in the communication between Adam and Eve and Satan and Eve, there was an ignorance concerning the word of God. And all the way now, 6,000 years later, it seems like that there is ignorance concerning the word of God. Uh, maybe because we don't read it like we should. Maybe because we don't study it like we should. Maybe because we, for years, and you got to remember, I grew up in a rather unusual Pentecostal church, but a lot of churches that we visited, I've been to over 300 churches, preached over 300 churches. Many churches would have a choir, and they would start the service. The choir would sing, and the congregation would sit, and there was no participation. And then you go to many churches, and I have nothing wrong with this, but many churches, they put the scripture up on the screen so it's not necessary to take your Bible. In many churches, you're instructed how to pray and how to receive what God has for you. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ has become so lazy in the last days that we have stopped pursuing and seeking as God told, uh, help me, uh, Caleb and, wow, where did that go? That's scary. Uh, Joshua said that this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. So, so we, have, we have got away from speaking the purpose and plan of God, the will of God, to speaking the purpose and plan of other people in our life. And you know the story, the story, she, three things in 1 John 2 and 15 talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Uh, let's, let's find that real quick. And when the woman, verse 6, saw, there is the lust of the eyes, Paul, saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. There is the lust of the eyes. And a tree desired to make one wise, there is the pride of life. The three things that John warns us that the enemy would try to use against us, the lust of the flesh, obviously we know most of the things the flesh tries to produce and pursue, the lust of the eyes, and we know how advertisement is so geared to try to touch that, that male sensor, to, to try to arouse that male, wake that male up, and tell that male he has to buy, or the female, they have to buy this man and wife, they have to buy this certain product, or the pride of life. And the pride of life is what all of us walk in, whether we realize it or not. And where we got to be careful in the pride of life, we can be proud of what God is doing and what God has done and what God will do. We can be proud of that. But never let us be like the Pharisee that said, Father, I thank you that I'm not like that sinner. That's not the pride that God wants us to operate in, and that's not the pride that God wants to walk in. So the three things that John warns are right here in the garden, those three things. And so she ate, and then she gave to her husband, and without 
I mean, we're not sure what happened to that in that window. Maybe he realized that she was damned. Maybe she maybe he realized that she was doomed. Because after all, God told him before she was made. How crazy is that, Linda? I don't know if you ever saw that, but before Eve came from Adam's rib, God told Adam, name the, name the, name the trees, name the animals, don't eat of this fruit. So, so what is so crazy here, this, this voice, the second voice I guess I'm, I'm wanting to say, the second voice that Adam and Eve hear is the voice of the enemy. A few years ago, a few years ago, a few weeks ago, I talked to you about a nudge. You remember that? A nudge, how God just kind of nudges you. And we were talking this week that when the enemy comes in and tries to disqualify and discredit and discourage, that usually confirms that what God said is accurate and is going to happen. How many can relate? You get a word from you in your devotion, in your prayer, in your singing, in your sermon. Somewhere you felt like God nudging you to step out of the boat and do something. And the moment you start to pursue that, all hell comes against you and tries to stop you and hinder you. Can anybody relate to that? Because Daniel prophesied in the last days the number one trick of the enemy, number one, would be to wear out the saints of the Most High God. And here the enemy constantly tries to wear us out, wear us down, telling us we cannot do that, we cannot. And, you know, we quote the scripture, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. How many quoted that? Knows where it's found, or at least you quote it. Okay, I want to I I I make a correction there and say there you come to a place in your life where you realize there are things you cannot do nor will you ever be able to do them i will never get so good at golf that every time i hit the ball it's a hole in one i will never get to a place in life where i can bench so much weight that i can bench press a thousand pounds so when you, in, in, in contrast of what God's word says, here's what you've got to realize. There are times in your life when you will begin to receive the Lord's strength for a purpose. And that's when you declare, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So the things that we can do through Christ are the things that Christ purposes and, and, and implants in our heart and our spirit, speaks to us through his word again, through music, through teaching, through one another, that there is greatness in you, and you can be that Marie Callender. You, you can be that Colonel Sanders. You can be that Isaac Newton. You can be J.K. Rawlings that wrote all the children. Right, Debbie? Was the author of all the children. And they, they told her that her writing was terrible. I mean, when you look at, when you look again, and, and we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses of ones that failed. When you look at David, when you look at Samson, when you look at Noah, when you look at not just Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob, and you find the, the, the fallacies or you find the inconsistencies or you find the negatives in their life. They refused, Jerry, to allow the negatives of life keep them from doing what God called them to do. And that's why it's important to realize that there is a race that we are running, and we're to run this race with patience. We're not all going to run at the same speed. When I go back uh, 30 five years in ministry, and I look and see where I was 35 years ago, and I look and see where I'm at now, I realize that from that journey to this journey, it's been a race. It's just been staying patient and consistent. Are the things that I did wrong? Absolutely. If you ever ask me to write a bestseller, I'm going to write and teach you how not to do it. Anybody got that testimony? I can certainly tell you 
how not to do it. But it's been a race. It's been a journey. Now, from, from where we're at now to where we're going, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure where we're going. I do know that we have found a beautiful piece of land. I do know that we have found a church builder. I do know that we have the ability here to liquidate this and build our building and debt-free. And we, we feel like the Lord has given us a name change. And so we are, we are planning what God has pushed in our spirit in the past three years. And now we're waiting for the Lord. And that's okay because the Bible says they that wait upon the Lord. Obviously, when it doesn't happen when you want it to and you get frustrated over a roof leaking or get frustrated over air conditioning units that are, 30, that are 28 years old, but they're still running 28 years old and they're still running. Thank the Lord. Look at somebody and say, thank the Lord for that. But when there's, a, when there's a promise out there and you've heard the promise and seen the promise, it's really easy to get distracted and discouraged when you are living your daily life. They call it the daily grind. And it's like every, every day there's something that you're dealing with, some kind of drama you're dealing with, and then you realize, do you realize it was just a, a little while ago that we are where we were at a week ago? Do you realize how fast Sunday was last week and how, and how, and how Sunday has come? It's like time, uh, I think uh, Steve Miller said, time keeps on slipping into the future. It's like, it's like our life is being lived, but we're not pursuing the things God has called us to pursue, maybe because we don't believe we can or we don't, we don't have the ability to or we don't surround ourselves with the people that can help us be and do what we are called to do. This week, um, the harvest came to the house. I think we had about 40 there. And uh, I got to talking with one of the girls, Danielle. Danielle, where are you? And she told me what her heart's desire was, and she loves gardening. And uh, she's the horticulturist. And, uh, and, and so I told her, I said, if you'll get permission to get a piece of, piece of ground there at, at Hope House, if you'll get permission, I'll help you plant it. Now, I don't know what you've done to get the permission or to pick out the land, but I already have you two crepe myrtles, two Chinese figs, and about 60 irises. And then I just got a phone call that said I can have 300 irises if I want them. And so, so, so what are you saying? I'm saying she shared her dream. She, she shared her dream with someone that had the ability to connect. Johnny told me she wants to be a nutritionist. I went online to see what it takes to be a nutritionist. It doesn't take a whole lot. Everybody's an expert. Just do your own thing. Become your own expert and use, use the product that you have confidence in. Where's Johnny? Yes. And, and you can be a nutritionist. So you know what? When God begins to put things in your heart and spirit, uh, uh, two weeks ago I encouraged Richard to get a job. Just get a job. And he got one for uh, $12 an hour. But Richard's worth $35 an hour. So Monday we're going to pay somebody. Does anybody know how to do a resume? Anybody in the building? Lift your hand. Wave it at me. Can you guys do it? Okay, this week we need to get a resume for Richard because there's a job opportunity. Richard can make $35 an hour. But see, if you don't push and you don't nudge, am I helping anybody in the building today? Is that we're all in this, what's, what's, what's it come? Was that we're all in this, was that family time? We're all in this together. What, what? Yes, I love that high school. I love, it wasn't Drake, Dran, what's his name, the guy? Uh, yes, Zach Drake Dread Zach. I love that movie. I'm I'm obviously a, I'm obviously into those chick flicks. I mean, I, I'm sorry. That's just the way that my kids have taught me to roll. But we're we really are all in this together. And as an encourager and a connector, I mean, I may not be a great preacher, a great singer, a great piano player, 
but I am a connector. I know how to connect people. And when you get where you're supposed to be and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, in the last 10 years, three different grooms have found their bride in this house. Had they been at another house, they may not have found, I mean, I mean, God surely could have worked it out, but there are those that, are, that have been with me a long time that you're pursuing goals and principles that you learned when you were young and you're consistently doing them and you're seeing how they pay off. So, there, so it's important to listen to instructions, okay? Finish the race, start, start the race. First of all, make up your mind, I am going to cross this off my list. Start with something simple. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Not, not me. I'm, not, I'm at the weight I want to be. Uh, I'm actually at a weight where I can actually throw my weight around now. But, but I'm, I, I want to quit smoking. I, I want I to. There's, there's areas I want. Okay, start small. Write it down and, and, and pursue it and know that God's going to help you. Then surround yourself with people that's going to encourage you, that's going to strengthen you. I remember I shared this week when, when I gave my heart to the Lord uh, that Sunday night. Uh, Monday evening after I saw Pastor on the airport, I went home, and I called all the guys that I got high with. And I said, listen, I said, I'm not better than you, but I'm just, I'm just telling you, I can't come over anymore. I lost everything that I have because of drugs, and I want to start all over. And I know you're going to tell me, you come over, we won't share our drugs. And I understand, you know, that, that verbiage. But I, but I said, no. I said, I'm not, I'm not, gonna I'm not better than you, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to come around anymore. And, you know, two things happen. And first of all, the guys that I thought were so cool when I was getting high, when we weren't getting high, we had absolutely nothing in common. And the second thing I learned when I got away from people that were doing the, doing the drugs and doing the ACDC and the Black Sabbath and all of that crowd and started hanging around people that were singing from the Red Hymnal. Now, most of you have no clue what the Red Hymnal. But when you start singing the old rugged cross and I'll fly away and amazing grace and when you start singing uh, at the cross at the cross you can't hang around that environment and not melt the hurt the pain and just and just melt out and then God provides a new place there's a clean place that he wants to live in that he wants to abide and that he wants to be a part of so it's important sometimes to find somebody that knows a little bit more than you understand everybody in life needs a silas Everybody in life needs. Paul had a Silas. He wasn't his pastor. He wasn't his buddy. But they saw eye to eye together. They, everybody needs that kind of person in your life, someone that you can encourage and bless. They encourage and bless you. You like being around them. And everybody in life needs a Timothy. You should be giving back something. You should be sowing into something. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It, it, it can be a bottle of water. I mean, it's scary how little things make a difference in the things of God. It's scary how that happens. So you, you've got to have someone that, that you're in agreement with, and you've got to have someone in your life that you're sowing into, and then you need a Paul. Everyone needs a pastor. The last three great tragedies uh, from, from Christian television, all three of those tragedies could have been stopped and overcome had those, those television celebrities had a pastor. All they needed was someone just to encourage them and tell them what they needed to do. But they, they chose not to submit to correction, chose not to submit to instruction, and they lost out. And two of them are being restored. But, but there's, a, there's a reason why God puts authority in your life. There's a reason why God puts spirit. It's not that they're smarter than you, better than you, but there's a different anointing. There's a teaching anointing. There's a mentoring anointing on them that they want you, they want you to, they want to see you uh, be more than you see what you want to be. 
I mean, we see greatness in people because we've been here and we've watched what happens when people pay attention to instruction. Now, I've got some weight up here. <coughs> and I'd like somebody to curl it. Well, Richard's cocky. Richard, if you will, take that bar on the level that you're on, face the congregation, and curl that puppy. Come on. Somebody help him. Someone help him again. Come on. Come on, someone help him again. There's four. Look there. One more, one more, one more. Hey. Okay, thanks, Richard. Okay. When, when I was, stay right here with me. Uh, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I weighed 119 pounds. Earlier in that year, my sinuses had become so caked with cocaine, I couldn't snort coke. I went to the place where I'd get my coke and told the guy what was going on. He took me in the bathroom, and he took a needle, and he shot the coke through my toes. That's where I was at when I gave my heart to God. I weighed 119 pounds. Later that week, I'm not sure what day it was, my brother was a part of a club called Adam and Eve. Uh, it was a real nice club in California, famous for some of the celebrities I'll tell you about in a minute. But uh, I went with my brother and his friend to play racquetball. And I had played racquetball earlier in life. And it uh, wasn't great, but I'm good. And uh, when I played about 15 or 20 minutes, Paul, I thought I was going to die. I actually thought I was going to die. I said, this game is going to kill me. I'm getting off this court. And I went and watched my brother, another guy, play for another hour or so. And I made up my mind, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I've, tr- I've trashed my body, and I'm at a place where I'm, I'm, I'm anemic, I'm sick, I'm flimsy. And so I joined the club. I joined the club. I went every day. I went Sunday. I worked my calves and abs every day, and I began to work out with the guy. We would do chest and back one day, do arms and legs the next day, and we would rotate out. And as I began to work out, I began to grow. I began to add weight. I began to increase my strength. And in all of that, this was a club where uh, Lou Ferrigno would, would drop in. Every, the Hulk would drop in. I met Arnold twice. Uh, Bob uh, Bob Birdsong, a Christian weightlifter, Rachel McClish, drop-dead gorgeous weightlifter, bodybuilder. And so I started working out in this environment. And, of course, the music was obviously the 70s, and we were working out the 70s music. Well, one day, and I'd watched him at a distance. He was uh, Mr. Teenage America, went on to win Mr. California, Mr. Gold. His name was Mike McLennan, and I had the privilege of leading Mike to the Lord and uh, mentoring him for almost a year but uh, as I was working out one day, Mike, and you got to realize, Mike is like, like built like Arnold, a little younger, and that was his goal. And uh, so Mike said, uh, they call me a preacher. I don't know why. <laughs> but he said, hey, he said, uh, I want you to be my workout buddy. I said, you got to be kidding. He said, no, I'm not kidding. I said, I can't even load the bar for you, much less do what you're doing. He said, that's not important. He said, it's not about the weight. It's about the process. He said, the fact that you are the most faithful person I've ever met, I want you to be my partner. So there we went. God promoted me and it opened the door for me to, to minister some other bodybuilders. But when I was with Mike, Mike would teach me how to isolate 
the muscle. So obviously squats are for, for, for the legs, obviously triceps are for the triceps, curls is to build the bicep. And so I, I did what Richard did. I thought it was a big deal to put a lot of weight on there and, and curl as many times as I could. But Mike changed my whole world, and I want Pastor Todd to come and help me. Pastor Todd, you're going to be a rock. And if you will, if you will, just face, listen, just face that way. The other way, you're the face, okay? Now, I want you to be strong right here, okay? Okay. Now, turn, yes, maybe a little bit more. Okay. Now, Richard, I want you to get the, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put all of our weight against Pastor Todd. which involves your forearm, your deltoid, and your bicep. We're going to take the thumb out of the picture, and we're going to curl it like that. So the only thing you're working, literally, is your bicep. Okay, now do a rep for me. Thumbs behind the bar. No, other way. Just like that. Now, it's not that easy. <laughs> Try it one more time. Try it again. Thanks. Here's the point. Here's the point. Let's give Richard a hand for trying. Thanks, Richard. Because there's going to come a day when he's going to do that. You watch and see if we don't come back three months from now and, and him do it. Again, not the weight. The process. Learn what you want to do and then do it right. And sometimes I feel sorry for Chris and Sir, Susan and Mish, Mish, Mish and Debbie because they've heard all my stories. I just, sometimes I just cringe. Leanne's been here. But as many of you know, uh, there was a season in my life that I was a golfer. And being left handed, go spelling golf backwards is flogged. So all I did was flog. Oh, I could whack the ball, but you never knew which fairway it was going to end up in. I'm telling you, man, I've, I hit somebody one day. I mean, I was dangerous. I was a, you heard about the Jew that went golfing and almost hit somebody, and instead of yelling four, he said, 399, 399. Well, can I tell my golf joke? Would we have time for, oh, it's 10 after 12. Sorry, I don't have time for that. I mentioned from the pulpit that I was golfing and mentioned how bad I was. And there was a guy, Jerry, about your age, in shape, healthy, came up to me and he said, listen, he said, I've been coming here three months. I love this church. He said, I used to own a golf course and I was on the tour with the old guys. Arnold Palmer was on the tour. He was a money winner and he retired. And he said, let's go out and let's, let's see you hit a bucket of balls. So I think Misha got the little bucket, the 50, 50 balls. And so all I did was lay, the, lay the, the ball on the tee and take this driver right here. These are tailor-made, by the way. And I would whack the ball. I would line up knowing that I was going to hit the ball over there. I adjusted my feet and aimed that way. And then I took the club and I brought it back and I whacked it. And all 50 times, I did it wrong. All the time the ball went, and you know what my pro said? He said, Pastor, congratulations. You have perfected your mistakes. You do it wrong 
every time. You do it wrong every time. He spent an hour with me that day, spent an hour later on, showed me that you had to, you had to aim your feet towards the, the, the pin, showed me that the face of the, of the club had hit the ball, a sweet spot about the size of a dime, showed me that you had to tweak your, tweak your wrist together before maybe you could take the ball and move it back and forth and move it up and back over here, and showed me never look to see where you hit the ball because that always gives you a tendency to look up and let the bullet rest of that away. Let someone else find the ball. And you know what? Now, 10 years ago, I fell out of a tree and broke two wrists. My coughing came. I just picked the ball up and flo- throw it now. I'm more accurate that way, and I seem to have a little better seem to have a little better score. But I guess what I want to share with you is that I did it wrong every time. I had perfected my mistakes. So it's not practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Let me share a couple of things with you. We're, we're going to get back to Adam and Eve tomorrow. And I guess, you know, let me <laughs> let, let me um let me 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 do this. Let me do this. I'm pausing for effect. I'm working out well. At the end of the story, God went looking for his kids. He knew where they were. Hello. He knows everything. But he said where are you? Well, we're hiding because we're naked. Who told you? And that's the point I want to make right there. Who to, what, in, what input do you have today that is affecting every day? What's been spoken over you? By who? What are you listening to? Who's speaking into you? Are they speaking life? Are they speaking death? Borrowing the 53rd page of Steve Furtick's book, I'd like to ask some questions. May I? Who told you that you were unworthy of my love until some future point in time when you can clean yourself up? Who told you that you couldn't be forgiven of that one sin even while you still struggle with it but desire to overcome it? Who told you that the way you look is determined is abnormal because of a feature society may deem unattractive? Who told you that the skills and gifts I've given you aren't much good and won't make much of an impact? Who told you that when you speak, people are just waiting for you to shut up and you never have anything good to say? Who told you that? Who told you that you're coming up short and will always come up short as a parent, as a spouse, as a son, or a daughter, even though you're growing and trying? I believe God's ministering to someone this morning. I really, I really feel like that. Who told you that you were stuck and doomed to die just like you are because of the thoughts and actions that have dominated your life up to now. Who told you that? God didn't. God didn't. And I close with this illustration. Paper 
over rock, rock over scissors, scissors over paper, dove over serpent. We thank you for this session together. We thank you for what has been spoken. More importantly, we thank you for the nudges that you provide. We ask today that we've learned something that will help us grow, that will give us determination to try again, that will surround ourselves with healthy people, healthy voices, that will stop listening to the chatter, stop listening to the input of others, and start hearing what God's word has to say about ourselves. We will learn your word. We will study your word. We will know your word. We will know what your word says. And as Jesus, when he was tempted, answered only, it is written. In Jesus' name we pray. And y'all said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation for the good that he has done in our house. And I'm, I'm wanting every Sunday to give you something I believe the Lord is giving me to help you grow, to help you pursue, to help you be what God has called you to be. I want to give you this chance to sow in an offering uh, a little a little snag uh, to yesterday. Uh, it is our goal to get all the AC units running, but we have um, 